0: Thank you, Bec. Please, if you've got your Bibles open, please keep them open. We're going to be working our way through this chapter, um, touching sometimes just a verse at a time and sometimes two or three verses at a time. So have it handy um, so you can uh, follow along on what we're trying to say, or what I'm trying to say. Biographies. Who likes reading biographies? If I'm going to to do a read, I'm probably going to head to a biography first up. And mainly probably for sportsmen, back in the 70s, I had a library full of biographies of all the Australian cricketers of the, time, of the day. I could tell you the life stories of Lily, Marsh, Thompson, Walters, D- Max Walker, and the Chapel Brothers. I knew everything about them backwards. But what about your own biography? How do you think that might look? Theologian uh, John Flavel suggested biographies should be written using the Hebrew alphabet because that's best read backwards. That helps to make it clear what God's doing with your life that you might not have seen at the time. About 40 years ago, when I was really young, I was transferred in my work with the bank to to Griffith in western New South Wales. Then Griffith was a town of just under 20,000 people and this is where Diane was living. At the time, I was waiting to be accepted into the police force. Not long after arriving, the letter came through from the police force and I put in my resignation to the bank. I also gave notice on the house I was renting for my last few weeks in Griffith. After about two weeks, I had to rethink about joining the police force and then I withdrew my resignation from the bank and decided to stay with them. So then I had to find another place to rent and I did. ...in a flat next to Diane. And the rest, they say, is history. That little story took about five months to happen. Resigning, rejoining. That stage took another five years. Talk to to Diane about that. She'll tell you what happened in that five years. It's a lot clearer to me now... ...to see God's hand at work in the things that that played out then. And looking at it from this side. At the time... I saw it just as days and weeks of turmoil and change. Moving towns, changing jobs, moving houses. Looking back now, it's really clear that God's hand was behind it all. A great chapter to put in my life story, if it ever becomes worth writing. In Ruth 2, we're getting the reader's view of what happened, not the actor's view. It's like reading a biography backwards. When you know the story but get the opportunity to pick up the clues that otherwise might have been missed. Before we dive into this second part of Ruth's story, let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and for your word. Father, settle our minds and our hearts to hear your words this evening. Father God, please help me to speak clearly and be true to your word. We pray that you will renew us in in desire to love you, to serve you and to follow you. Amen. After Matt led us through chapter one of Ruth last week, we have two main characters left, Naomi and Ruth, and they had some major needs. As Matt told us, in those days, if there was no man, there was no food. They needed food and they needed family, and that's what the rest of the book of Ruth is somehow going to have to solve. This part of the story of Ruth has been written in a way that's mainly a series of conversations between people. And the author cleverly adds in little moments of intrigue as well as a few clues to keep us guessing as to what's happening. And the first of these is in verse 1. And we have the unusual opening uh, that says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Out of nowhere we learn of Boaz. Now there's two important facts about Boaz that are mentioned in verse 1. One is from the clan of Alemelech. In Israelite society, an individual is part of a family, your family is part of a clan, and different clans make up the tribes. The clan level was the most important social family group that there was in Israelite society. That's because if you're part of someone's clan, then you had responsibilities for caring for the others in your clan. Boaz is from the same clan as Alemelech was, and Elimelech was Naomi's husband. That's the first fact. Second is, it says that he's a worthy man, which could be a reference to his wealth. It could also simply be a reference to the fact that he's a man of good character. Boaz doesn't enter the action yet, but what we've got is the author saying, here's a guy named Boaz from the clan of Elimelech who sounds like a pretty solid guy, so keep a watch out for him. Let's go to verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in, after him in whose sight I shall find favour. And she, and she said to her, Go, my daughter. God had set up within the harvest season a means for providing for the poor and the destitute, those who had no land and those who had no food and the means he'd set up was was set out within the laws that we read about in Leviticus 19. He'd commanded landowners and harvesters not to harvest the corners of the fields, to leave behind some grain for the poor and the destitute to come behind and collect it for themselves. It had a twofold purpose. One, it made sure the poor wouldn't go hungry. And two, it encouraged the poor to be proactive in providing for themselves. This was perfect for the situation like we have here. Ruth and Naomi have nothing to their name and Ruth sets out out to see if she can find someone who is following God's command, someone who would grant her favour. Ruth needs to be granted favour. She's a foreign woman, a Moabite woman in an Israelite culture. She has to find a field where someone would let her come behind and at least get a bit of grain here and there, a little bit of food, enough to last a day or two. To get them by. And now it starts to get really good. Verse 3. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz who was of the clan of Elimelech. What a coincidence. She happened. We would say today, what are the chances? Or who'd have thought of it? She just happened to go into the middle of all these fields in Judah and she just happened to find herself in who'd have thought the field belonging to Boaz. Now, as Christians, we know that nothing happens by accident or chance under the watch of God. Everything happens by God's design and providence, just like how Diane and I met. The way God had planned by moving me across New South Wales, changing and then re-changing my career path, and then my home, and also Diane's path was also directed to that point, to be living in that flat at that time. We're not driven or caught up in some blind force of chance or coincidence. There's a sovereign God who's always orchestrating the events of his people for their good and his glory. It gets better in verse 4. And behold, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Okay, this is starting to sound like the plot of a B-grade movie. Ruth happened to come into Boaz's field. And when she got there, you'll never guess what happened. you never guess who happened to show up at that exact same time. What are the chances again? If this were the plot of a movie or a book, you'd turn it off or put it back on the shelf. The timing of Boaz's arrival is obviously perfect because God's timing's perfect. He's the landowner that just happened, by chance, to come along to check on the work that's being done in his field. Boaz isn't your typical landlord. He doesn't sit back and have others look after his farm. He gets his hands dirty. He doesn't think it's beneath him to work in in the fields. He's respectful of the workers. And the first words we hear, hear out of Boaz's mouth are, The Lord be with you. We've got a picture from the moment Boaz comes onto the scene that he's a man of God. And the workers respond, The Lord bless you. When Boaz asked his foreman... Whose young woman is that? He means, to whom does she belong? Or what clan does she part of? Remember, Ruth the Moabite with no husband and no clan to live with. She needs a family and that's how the foreman replied in verse 6 and 7. She is the Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and has worked steadily from morning till now, except for a short rest. And now we've shifted from a B-grade movie to an Oscar winner. Boaz is thinking, of all the fields, in all the towns, in all of Israel, she walks into mine. For those that don't understand that, find someone with grey hair and they might explain it to you. The next thing we see is that Boaz has gone to talk to the Moabites, which is very surprising. We have a wealthy Israelite landowner going directly to a Moabite woman, a foreigner, She's the lowest rung on the social ladder. And Boaz says in verse 8, Now listen, my daughter, do not go and glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young woman. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after him. Go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Now I'm not sure this was one of Boaz's top pick, go-to pick-up lines, but when you really think about it, this is an, this is incredible. What Boaz has just said to Ruth: "Don't go and glean another field, and don't leave this one." You can almost picture the gestures that go with Boaz's words: "Don't go into that field, and don't go and go, don't go into any of the other fields." <coughs> Boaz emphasised his plea by repeating himself: "You stay here. You'll be provided for in this field, and you'll be protected in this field." In that day. Remembering we're in the days of judges when things were lawless. It would be dangerous for foreigners and more so for women foreigners. They would be abused, mistreated and insulted in the fields. Boaz is saying, you'll be protected here, you'll be safe. Think about all the boundaries that Boaz has crossed to show mercy to this Moabite woman. You can drink from these jars. This is the time... When foreigners fill jars for the Israelites to drink and women fill jars for the men to drink. But what you've got here is Israelite men filling jars for a Moabite woman to drink. Then we get to verse 10, which sounds really melodramatic, but in the light of what's happened, it makes, makes some sense. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, Why have I found favour in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. The key message of the chapter is right here. It's set up at that very at the very beginning in verse two. Ruth is seeing someone who will show a favour. Is seeking someone who will show a favour, and then she's shocked when someone does. Boaz's words to Ruth, and Ruth's response to Boaz, give us a picture of blessing, mercy, and love. Listen to this picture from verse eleven. But Boaz answered her, All you have done for your mother in law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favour in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. Ruth had shown mercy to Naomi, and now the Lord is repaying that mercy through Boaz. As we read, from, read in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And the stage is now set for what we see in verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she said, st- She ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. This is not just a meal. This goes a lot deeper. This is a picture of fellowship and service at the table, not just sitting around the table. Think about this. She sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. This is Boaz going to her and serving her at his table. He's the Lord of the Harvest, serving a foreigner, a woman... At his table, have some bread, dip it in the wine. Who remembers Sizzlers? Who's never heard of Sizzlers? Okay, Sizzlers, Sizzlers was a, 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 a usually a very big building, a big restaurant that had lots of tables, and right up the middle of it, probably the length of this building in some cases, was a self self serve salad bar. So you could help yourself as much as you want. And against the wall was the same length, same length of table with all the desserts on it. So you, if you went in there, you never came out hungry. <laughs> one of the really special things they had at Sizzlers was the cheese toast. Yeah, Who remembers like the cheese toast? <laughs> right, yeah. Should have organised some of that for supper. <laughs> you didn't tell me. I <laughs> only just thought of it then. Sizzlers have all gone from Australia now. The last one closed down in 2020. Along with the obvious food wastage, COVID probably was the final straw in their back. There were some stories, and they were probably urban myths, of people who would go in for their meal, sit there forever, munching on the cheese toast, but sneak in a heap of containers and get their meals for the week. (laughs) They got more than their fill. This is a bit like Sizzlers here. Have some bread, taste better with something on it, dip it in the wine, nibble on some other grains. And Ruth's right into it. She ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. In verse 15, Boaz brings his reapers in and says to them that he needs their help. And Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves. Don't reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. And then she threshed the barley she had gathered. It amounted to an ephah of barley. Again, Ruth will be provided for and protected. Boaz is going to make sure of it. Much more than he needed to under the law. An ephah in today's measures is about 20 kilograms. So she was well provided for with grain. And we know Ruth was a pretty tough, tough woman because the next verse it says she picked it up and went into the city. And that's after a full day's work in the harvest field and then time spent on the threshing threshing room floor. Now try and picture picture Naomi's face as Ruth walks through the door. She's been sitting there all day hoping that Ruth is safe, thinking maybe she'll come back with with a little meal for the evening. And she comes back hauling a 20 kilogram bag of grain. Naomi's standing there with a jaw on the ground. And then Ruth reaches in her back pocket and said, oh, and here's some cheese toast as well. (laughs) Naomi sounds like she's beside herself. The words to me just seem to be gushing out of her mouth. Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Remember the last time we saw Naomi? She wanted to be known as Mara, the bitter one. In what seems like an instant, she's gone from bitterness to blessedness. And what the author's done seems very intentional. Ruth knows she's been working in the field of Boaz, but Ruth doesn't know the significance of who Boaz is. Ruth knows who Boaz is, but she doesn't know whose field Ruth's been working in. You think Naomi's happy now from seeing the grain? Just wait. The main piece of information is still to be revealed. The author holds that back until the very last words of verse 19. Ruth told her mother-in-law about about the place she'd been working. The name of the man I work with today is Boaz. Naomi is stunned and she says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. There are two key words worth considering in that verse. The first is kindness. His kindness has not forsaken loving-kindness, grace and mercy. The second word is redeemer. Leviticus 25 tells us of the role of a redeemer or a kinsman redeemer. A kinsman is a relative, one who's part of the family or their clan. They would have a right of redemption, a right to purchase or to buy back property and to provide for someone whose family had left them destitute, someone whose husband had died. Ruth realizes that this is not this is not this is not just an extremely honourable man who's helped her that day. This is a kinsman redeemer. And so Naomi begins plotting the next step. Naomi tells Ruth to do what Boaz has said. Stay with his young women to be safe and keep cleaning <coughs> until the end of the harvest. So where are we at? Two major problems of the book at Ruth that needed to be solved. They needed food, and they needed family. We know Ruth stayed in the field of Boaz, cleaning until the harvest finished. We don't know for sure if she walked home with 20 kilograms of grain every day, but I think we can insu- assume that by the end of the two or three months, Ruth had well and truly experienced the provision of God through the kindness of Boaz. A provision that would take her and Naomi through the rest of the year, probably. It's an amazing provision. So I think we can say that, say for food, check. The other big problem still out there, the need for family. Ruth's still a vitess, living with her mother-in-law, and that's where Ruth 2 stops. <coughs> you get to the very last sentence and it's, she lived with her mother-in-law. It's a sudden ending to the chapter. It's almost like when you're watching a TV show and it's getting to the end and all the pieces are starting to come together and they go, join us next week for the next instalment of Farmer Wants a Wife. <laughs> What do we have to learn from this chapter of Ruth? There are at least two views of the gospel that are reflected here in Ruth 2. First, we don't see God explicitly mentioned in every single verse of the book of Ruth. But we see God's providence at work through this chapter. We see words in verse 3, She happened to come to. The way Ruth is written is intentional. To show us that God's working behind the scenes in what the characters of the story are doing with their mercy and grace for each other. Philippians 2.13 says, For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The characters in this story are ultimately revealing the character of God to us. God showing his love to Na- for Naomi through the devotion from Ruth to Naomi. God showing his concern for the poor, the less fortunate and the foreigner, by Boaz's concern for that poor foreigner. Secondly, the author of Ruth is showing us a picture, a glimpse of the mercy and grace of God that helps us understand the gospel. And she, he's doing that through the, gospel, the character of Boaz. We're told at the start that Boaz is a worthy man and we see evidence to support that claim through the passage. He treats the outcast as his family, he shelters the weak, he serves the hungry at his table and he showers the needy with his grace. And remember, all this is happening in the time of judges where everyone seemed to do things that were right in their own eyes. For a person to stand fast to their God and act as God expected them to was an example of a very worthy man. Boaz saw Ruth's vulnerability, unable to fend for herself safely as a foreign widow, and he chose to protect and provide for her. Boaz's mercy shown to Ruth preempts the gospel. Mercy is not just not punishing somebody. It's showing compassion for someone's suffering or distress. God's mercy towards every one of us is central to the gospel message. Recognising our sinfulness and inability to save ourselves, God, in his mercy, sent Jesus. Jesus cared deeply about the poor and the downtrodden, demonstrating his compassion in tangible ways. Giving sight to the blind, touching the leper, healing the sick, feeding the poor, raising the dead and ultimately giving his life for us. Now what I want to try and do is take what we know of the story of Ruth and Boaz so far and consider how that affects us today here in 2508. And I'd like to finish by touching briefly on four things. Firstly, under God, nothing ever happens by chance. Things don't just happen. Everything's part of God's plan. Think about it. There's nothing in your life or my life, that has happened in the past or even just in this last week it's accidental. God's orchestrating the events of your week and your life for your good and for his glory. We can trust in God's plan for our lives knowing that he works behind the scenes even in difficult circumstances. This trust enables us to face challenges with faith and hope knowing that God's grace and mercy will guide us through life's uncertainties. Secondly, Stay in God's field. You don't have to go anywhere else. God's mercy and grace will be found there. If you've been wandering into other fields, fields of corruption and fields of sin, fields of materialism, may God help you see the things that you're running after, robbing you of the protection, the refuge and the joy that's found in the field of God that's under his gate, grace. Third, you can be an instrument of God's grace and mercy. Boaz's actions, the compassion he showed in the environment he was in, really shows how we can be instruments of God God in the lives of others. Be alert to the needs of those around you, extend a helping hand and show generosity. Help someone out of a field where they shouldn't be or don't even realise they're in. An act of kindness, no matter how small, can have a profound effect on someone's life and provide a glimpse of the Gospel message in action. It's been said, people don't remember what's on your tomb, on your headstone, only what you engraved on their heart. (coughs) And finally, recognise your need to receive God's grace and mercy. Ruth's humility and gratitude in response to Boaz's kindness reminds us of our own need of God's grace and mercy. Don't be too proud to ask for help. Don't be too proud to receive help. And don't be too proud to receive support from those around you. God delivered through Boaz. He'll deliver for you through someone you may or may not know. We need to be open to receiving grace from others. Ultimately, this is coming from God. That's part of God's plan too. By embracing God's grace and mercy, it allows allow us to experience, experience what God wants us to experience. We can build deep trust in God's plan for our lives, knowing that he works behind the scenes, even in difficult circumstances. This trust enables us to face challenges with faith and hope. God's grace and mercy will guide us through life's uncertainties. We saw Ruth and Naomi shift from desperation to hope. This really shows God's grace to His people. When God seems furthest from us, He may be laying the foundations for the greatest display of His faithfulness to us. God is constantly working with us, in us and for us in accomplishing His purposes. Trust in God, trust in what God's provided through his grace and mercy to us. He has shown shown us his redeeming love. Let's pray. Father God, give us a root to kind of belief. A belief that gives us total faith in you for what has happened and for what you've planned. A life where really nothing will happen by chance but through your careful planning. A kind of faith that's free from the need to run around in other fields and pursue other pleasures. A kind of heart that's full of grace and mercy for others' lives, for their spirituality and 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 the physically poor are all around us. And Father, for us to be humble to recognise the mercy and grace that's given to us, knowing that this comes from you. In your Son's name. Amen.